Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Big Bass Podcast, the fishing show where size matters. My name is Ken Duke. And I'm Terry Batiste. Our producer and engineer is Nathan Benson. Before we kick off this episode of the Big Bass Podcast, we'd like to ask you a favor. If you're coming back to the show because you enjoyed previous episodes, or if you're a first-time listener, please click the subscribe button and the notification bell now. By subscribing and hitting the bell, you'll be notified of each new post, and you'll really help us to build this channel into something more special than it's becoming. We also hope that you check out the website, thebigbasspodcast.com. There you'll find all of our shows, special bonus material, our exclusive Big Bass Podcast calculator, and lists of all the state and world record bass. So, Ken, let's get started with this week's episode. Fantastic, Terry. This episode of the Big Bass Podcast is all about the biggest bass ever caught in fishing's most legendary tournament, the Bassmaster Classic. There is no bigger or brighter stage in the world of competitive fishing than the Classic, and there's no cooler moment than bringing a giant bass across that stage. Our guest had that experience on February 24, 2006, when he made one of the greatest catches not only in bass tournament history, but also in big bass history. Before we talk with him, maybe you could give us a quick recap of part one of this series where we counted down to this fish, the biggest ever caught in the Bassmaster Classic. Yeah, so for 30 years, Ricky Green's eight-pound, nine-ounce bass that he caught from Lake Gunnersville stood as the biggest bass in Classic history. And then in 2006, bass held the Classic at Florida's Kissimmee chain of lakes. It was the second Classic in Central Florida and the first in late winter. Perfect storm for big fish. Just about everyone covering the tournament expected fireworks and on day one, it did not disappoint at all. Uh, five bass were, were brought to the scales that w exceeded the weight of Green's fish on the first day alone. Mark Tucker was the first to weigh in a new classic record with a 9.12, followed by Edwin Evers, uh, who had an 8.15, and then perennial classic winner Rick Clun uh, pushed to the top of the mark into the double digits with a 10.10. But our guest, had not one, but two beasts uh, that, that broke the previous record, including the big fish and 1110, that still stands today as the biggest bass ever weighed in classic history and possibly will remain it for many more years to come. So, Hey, Terry, let's bring him on. Preston Clark, welcome to the Big Bass Podcast. Thank you so welcome. much for joining us, Preston. Welcome, Thank you, Preston. Gab. It's good to see you. Good to see All you. right, President, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump the gun here a little bit, and I'm going to say, I'm going to make a bold statement. Ricky Green's record lasted 30 years. I think your record will last longer than that. There's a, there's a possibility. Of it. I, you know, I kind of I, I kind of hope that someone does break it because I know what it can do for their career, uh, especially if it's a newcomer. I, I hope that uh, when it's broken that it's somebody that was like me in the same shoes that I was in just starting getting out on the scene and, and make a name for them, be able to uh, get sponsorship and uh, and you know get all they can get out of uh, out of such a record. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you're you're so you're such a gracious person, Preston. Let's let's set the stage. You you talk about you hoping a newcomer gets it because of what it can do for his career. Let's set the stage because that's kind of exactly where you were. You're you're a North Florida guy living in Palatka, growing up fishing around the St. Johns and so forth. Um, in 2004, you qualified for the old Top 150s, the Bassmaster Tour through the Southern Opens. Um, and, and you did really well. You finished 15th in those 2005 AOI rankings, and you qualified for your first classic. You went to Pittsburgh, which I still think was one of the coolest <laughs> classics. Uh, and, and, for what? And you, well, it was it was really well attended. I think Preston will, will agree with me. It was a very enthusiastic crowd. The fishing sucked like never before. Right. But uh, but Preston did really well. You know, he, he finished 15th. He had a three-day total of seven bass, weighing seven pounds, one ounce. And, and <laughs> Preston, he caught did, a you ever imagine, <laughs> did you ever imagine that on the first day of the next Classic, you'd have two, big, two bass bigger than everything you caught at Pittsburgh? That was, uh, that was a, it was certainly a fun tournament. That was an easy tournament to win. All you had to do was figure out just a little bit, and you, I, I should have won it. I should have won both of them. Uh, I, I, I figured out something in Pittsburgh within the last half an hour. Ah. Had, I, had I started on day one, I would have blown the field away. And it's something that I knew. I grew up uh, fishing that way, and I and I went to it with about a half an hour to go. The light bulb went off, and they, you know, I, I missed a couple nice smallmouth. A, a two pound smallmouth was a big fish up there. Oh yeah. I had a couple of them yeah, on, then I caught a couple, and uh, it was. Uh, you know, I I felt like that that was it would have been my tournament to win if I'd have just figured out just a little bit earlier. Yeah, for folks who don't remember that classic very well, I remember it like yesterday. There were two days of that classic, guys, where if you had a two pounder, that was big fish of the day. Mm-hmm. That would have been big fish on I think day one and day three, a two pound even fish. So yeah, Preston's Preston can talk about those those fish much look huge to you. Oh yeah, at that derby. It, it, it was a, it was a good time. I, I had, uh, I'd never been, uh, in that, that part of the country before. I had a great time. The people were great. The fans were out of this world. It was packed out. The Mellon arena was sold out. It was, you know, standing room only. And it was very exciting. It was my first classic I'd ever attended. And I was, ah. there, you know, and it was, it was real cool. So can you talk about what you figured out in the last 30 minutes? Train trussles. I, I grew up by train trussle on the St. John's river. And, uh, I knew that anytime you hear the train coming, you hear the, the train whistle coming, you ran to the train trussle because the vibration would cause all that, all the, the stuff, the crustaceans and the minnows and stuff to get out of their hiding places. They, they, uh-huh. they would run out and the fish would feed for four or five minutes. And I came and there was train trussles everywhere in Pittsburgh. There must've been 15 of them. And I ran to one and threw a crankbait around it as the train was going across. And I, I missed one, about two, two and a half pounds that come up and come off. And I went to my next one and I caught one. And I went to my next one, I think I caught a short. And I went to the next one and caught another one and, and, and lost another one. But oh. yeah, another another hour and I could have had a 10-pound limit wow. in just that one day. A 10-pound limit would have blown it out. Yeah, 12-15 wins the whole derby for three days. 12-15. Right. Yeah. Well, but Aaron Aaron was fishing bridges. But, mm-hmm. you know. Well, so was Van Dam. So was Van Dam. I was on that bridge as well the, the first day. 
um, I, I, I caught my limit early, and then I went to the bridge. I'd, I'd had fish on that bridge, and it was covered up. There were several guys on that on that that yellow bridge, but uh, yeah, they they were the only two that could really catch them off of it. They they showed why they're the why they're the best at finesse. Uh, you were right there, man. And that, that 15th place finish, it was kind of a weird transition period. Bass was going from the summertime classics, which had been that way for more than 20 years, and then switching yep. over to the late winter classics. And so uh, you kind of kind of qualified just by virtue of your uh, great success in that classic. So 2006, the classic's coming to Florida. It's coming to the Kissimmee chain. <laughs> and uh, Preston Clark, after that last 30 minutes in Pittsburgh, has to be... You had to be so excited to hear that. I was, I was nervous. Uh, I had, I, I knew that the expectations were for me to do well because I was from Florida, but I'd only fished the Kissimmee chain maybe a half a dozen times in my life. I oh. didn't, I didn't know it that well. Uh, and just got, you know, just, I did what I, what I grew up doing, you know, looking for bedding fish. And I found, uh, found a couple areas that were just stacked. If it, at the tournament, a lot of people don't realize that the in classic and during the Bassmaster Classic, you only get a half a day of practice two days before the tournament. And uh, I, if, I, if the tournament would have been the day of the practice, I would have had, uh, you know, I had a 30 pound bag, but I think I could have had more than that on that, on that practice day. Wow. So now let's day one, you talk about, uh, you talk about if, 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 the, if it had started a little bit earlier, and of course, yeah, folks don't realize you got to get off the day, you got to get off the water early on Wednesday. The classic starts on Friday. Thursday is media day, so you're stuck talking yep. to guys like me, which is yep. not a good time when you want to go fishing. Uh, but uh, not, that not day, when not, not when you have a giant sitting out there that's waiting on you. Well, yeah, you got, well, and, and that's and not you're even hoping and praying that nobody goes out and poaches it on you. <laughs> and, and that's and, and and Terry, that's not even the that's not even the best fish he caught that day. But uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, I want to I want to set the stage a little bit for what happened on day one of that classic because it was a there were 51 anglers in the field and 49 guys limited. That's how good it was. Joel Saint Germain only caught a couple of fish. He was a, a, a Bass Nation qualifier out of Rhode Island, and Mike Iaconelli got DQ'd for destroying some equipment. We all remember that flag yeah. controversy and incident. Um, mm -hmm. But the average catch that day was over 14 pounds. The average bass was almost three pounds, which is fantastic for a, a tournament at any time. Especially Preston, of course. Yeah, especially the classic where there's a lot of pressure on. Uh, it's a it's a tough. It takes you out of your it takes you out of your routine. Instead of guys getting to go with their routine and their preparation and so forth, there they hurry over here and they wait, and they hurry over there and they wait, and then they do these interviews, and they do this TV, and, and it's got to be a hassle. Preston shows up on day one. He's got five bass weighing 29 <laughs> pounds in an ounce. It is the second best catch in the five bass limit era of the classic. Ironically, the best catch to that point came in that same day. Luke Clawson came in with five ounces more. But Preston, your yep. catch was far more impressive to me, and I think most of the fans, because you had you had two giants, a nine and an eleven ten. And and as I recall, that nine came awfully early. Is that the one you had found in practice? That's the one I found in practice. I, I had uh I'd, I'd found, I knew she was a good fish. I didn't know she was that big, but I found, I found her in practice and I put a, a marker on her. And the way that I mark a lot of, uh, down here, a lot of times we mark beds 
with uh, with uh, tomato steaks, and we'll back off. And I like to back off far enough where I can't see the fish. I can just see my tomato steak and know where the bed's at. Uh, but in this instance, I, I marked it with a, a piece of clothes hanger and a, and a white uh, piece of foam that I suspended just under the water so no one else could see it. Because people get, they know when you mark them with, uh, with, with the tomato steaks, they'll go along and just look for tomato steaks. But if they, they can't see that, that piece of foam under the water. And you can see it early in the morning when the visibility is low. You can, you can see it if you got an idea where it's at. You can spot it and know where you're know where in relation your bed's at to the to your marker. But I, I pulled up there and I, I pitched in uh, first or second pitch and I caught the buck and I said you know I, I couldn't see the fish it was still dark. Uh, I said well I wonder if she's still there and I pitched back in the next pitch and I saw my marker lay over where she turned and uh, <laughs> and later I said oh she's still there and the next pitch she hit it and I put her in the boat so I had two two fish within first four or five pitches. Uh, what does the male weigh? Uh, maybe a pound and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah, he did did the male make it to the scales or did you did I think wind I up being culled? I think I culled that one out. <laughs> so now I'm fascinated by the, the tomato steaks or the clothes hanger or whatever you were doing to market. Did you always put it a certain distance? Did you always put it three feet, five feet to one side? How do you, how do, you do that? I, I, I always put my marker on the the shallow side where the when the fish hits and the sometimes the shallow side might be on the lake side and the deep side be on the shore right. side but i when they when they pick your bait up i don't want them to run into my marker with me trying to set the hook and then have to deal with that as well yeah. so, when, so they, smart. They, when they hit they they'll always go towards the deeper water when they move ah. the bait up the bed. that's next level stuff preston clark thank you so, that's, a, that's a fabulous tip so I want to ask you about the, the hanger. So you just take a wire clothes hanger and undo it and then yep. stick a piece of fire styrofoam on it just that so it'll be just below the surface and then you just stick it in the, the surface. Mud. Take a big uh, maybe four or five ounce egg sinker used for saltwater fishing, run it through your clothes hanger, bend it over, and drop it you know, okay. right next to the bed. Terry, That's don't do brilliant. these things because I'll be doing these things now. <laughs> you, take, you take another clothes hanger, you straighten it out, leave the hook on it, and at the end of the day, you go by and just hook it and put it back in your boat and reuse it. <laughs> That's brilliant. That is so oh. smart. I like that. Tell us a little bit about the area. Uh, you said you'd only been out to uh, the Kissimmee chain a handful of times in the past. Was this an area where you had found some some better bedding fish in the past, or, or were you just finding these, all these fish in, in practice? It was a traditional area that where they bed year in and year out, um, just like where when Rojas caught them so well down there a few years before. Uh, that was a traditional area as well. And I went in and I uh, I started looking and and uh, it was uh, the the hydrilla was thick, and when it got close to shore, when it got maybe fifty yards from shore, you could see the bottom. From, from on the outside edge, and it looked like it was really, really shallow. But once you got up there, it was a wall, and there was like three foot of water there, and they were bedding on the back side of this wall. You couldn't see them unless you got way back, you know, behind the behind the line of uh, of hydrilla. Well, if I ask a question that's uh, too much, you just say no comment. But was this on the <laughs> on, on Big Toho, or or what yeah, lake was yeah. this? It was on Toho. It was in Goblet's Cove, right in okay. the mouth of Goblet's Cove. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Yep, now, was, uh, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. There were some docks there. Um, it's right when there's a there's a string of docks. It's right before you get into the docks. And I found several fish around the docks between the docks, but it was right in the mouth of Goblet's Cove. Tell us about the gear, Preston, uh, and, and also tell us maybe how how your gear choices have changed through the years because that's been going on 17 years ago. Right. Yeah, it, it seems like my stuff is antique now that I was fishing with. Uh, I had, uh, uh, I, I was I was sponsored by uh, by Eris Rods at the time, and uh, they had a they had a, a good rod. Uh, it, I was fishing with a Seven Eleven flipping stick. I was throwing uh, twenty pound Berkeley trialing big game, uh, just a standard issue. Uh, Five aught owner hook and a three sixteenth sinker. Uh, I, I did have a tungsten sinker. I was using penetrator weights at the time, and uh, and pegging everything with a toothpick. That was before the, they came out with a, <laughs> with a peg. So I'd you know, put a toothpick in it, break it off, and then slide your line up, tie your hook above where you where you pegged it. Uh, that's that's what I was fishing with, and I had to I had to those big old green Shimano Corrado reels, and they were you know you they were, you couldn't break one of them, but that, mm -hmm. that was my setup. Yep. Oh, those green Corrados, they're, they're bulletproof. I still got mm -hmm. one that I, I pull out once in a while. Um, so now what was it? A, I think it was a zoom critter crawl. Was that the, the bait green pumpkin or something? Yeah, they, they quit making that. Uh, I had, uh, I was fishing with a, with a zoom critter crawl and they quit making it. And it, I, I couldn't understand why. And, and later on in my career, I got, I was lucky enough to get with, uh, with Bass Assassin and, and help them uh, come out along with a crawl that's very similar called a, a whoopaw crawl. And that's my bed and go-to bait now. Oh, very cool. Now, a lot of guys, especially in the dark water, the tannin stained water that we have here in Florida, uh, like a, a more visible bait, maybe a, a, a white bait in that situation, but you're going with a very natural color there. Why the natural color versus something you can see? I, well, I'm so far away from it, from the bed, that I can't see my bait anyhow. Gotcha. You know, I, I, a lot of guys use those white baits so they can see when the fish picks it up and moves it off. Because the, the bite is definitely a different bite. It's, it's so light, you can't feel the bite sometimes. You can just see your line drop or see it move just a little bit. But I'm, I'm so far enough away from the bed that, you know, white would make, doesn't have any advantage for me. Uh, I'm, I'm far enough where it's all feel. It's every bit of it's feel. You can feel it when it comes off the blade of grass. You can feel it when it's in the bed. Um, and, and it's a lot of concentration. If I recall correctly, you had uh, a media guy in the boat with you that day. You had our friend Vance McCullough I in did. the boat. And I think Vance took the best classic photos maybe that I've ever seen of you. You must have said to Vance, I've got a big one set up over here. Get behind me, and you're going to have a picture of me breaking Ricky Green's heart. Uh, because I, I, if I recall correctly, and I haven't seen the photo in a while, unfortunately, but you're down on your knees on the front deck. I was and, on my knees. That was a, that was very cool. It, it, uh, that's one of my favorite pictures as well. I, I was looking, and I was showing him my marker, from the nine pounder that morning we were we come back around and i picked it up and i just happened to look up and there she was about 30 40 feet in front of the boat just looking right at me pointed right oh. at me 
see how wide she was. It was, uh, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. There's a good one. And I sit down, be quiet. So you ready. found that fish that day? Yeah, I found that big one that day. Oh, wow. Yep. So, so you catch the nine about four casts into the day. What time is it that you spot the eleven ten? Probably around probably around eleven o'clock. Okay, uh, a few I, I hours in. Buck, I catch the buck first, and he's barely a pound. And I I release him, and when I released him, a lot of times the buck will go right back to the bed, and and the female won't bite. And I was hoping that I already had a limit. I couldn't put him in the live well, so. I, I put him back in the water, and I got back in the in the bed before he could get back to it. And she hit it the very next cast, and uh, <laughs> that, that was a that was a cool picture on the hook set of that of that fish. I'll have to send it to you, Ken. Oh well, you know, for anybody, we'll try to we'll try to get the picture and and put it on the show. Uh, okay. I'll reach out to Vance and see if he's willing to share that with us. It is the most amazing classic picture I've ever seen. For anybody who hasn't seen it, there is a wake. As this fish turns on this bait or something, there is a wake that looks like it might shake the whole boat. Uh, it's that big and powerful. It's the most dramatic picture I, I think I've seen. It's much cooler even than a than a giant fish splashing and about to be landed, because you know what's about to happen. Um, it occurs to me, Preston, that that this is 2006. This is kind of pre-power pole, pre-shallow water anchor. What were you doing? To, to hold your boat in position for these presentations? Two small bell anchors that I had on uh, on short ropes. And that's another thing you want to do back, you know, back when we were doing that before power poles came along. Uh, you want to put, you want to give yourself every advantage you can, control everything you can control. So you don't anchor your boat on the side that you're going to pull your fish up to when you, when you try and land it. You make sure your anchor's on the other side that your stake is on the right side of the bed, you know, give yourself every advantage you can. So when so, you and I talked back, uh, when we did the article for Bass West, 2006, 2007, you uh, were telling me about a, a pole that you used that you would drive down and then you would tie it off on your boat cleat. What, can you go into that? That, that was my, my push pole. I would, uh, I'd push it down in the mud and, and tie it off. Uh, now they have stakes that people make that are fiberglass poles. Of course, now they got you got power poles. That changed everything. Right, uh, <laughs> such a such an awesome tool to have on your boat, and uh, you know I'll never have another boat without them. Uh, now, I'm sorry, I'm I'm all over the place here, Preston. You got because be, this would be such an easy interview, Preston, if you had just caught only one giant, but you've got to catch two, and. <laughs> And so I don't want to I don't want to disregard the nine, even though the other fish kind of almost almost dwarfs the nine. When you when you catch the nine, um, did you weigh this fish before you put it in the live well, or do you just say I know this one's going to the scales? I put it in the well. <laughs> yep, I don't, I don't. I've never weighed my fish. I I've always put them in. I just I know which one's the smallest one. I have a balance beam. And if I catch one bigger, I'll find out what they weigh when I get in. Did you know what the record was? Did you know Ricky Green had the record at that point? I I, knew, I wasn't sure what the record was, um, but I, you know, 
you catch an eleven pounder, you're pretty positive <laughs> to get the chair. You're, you're gonna be. Oh yeah, well, the eleven was no. The eleven left no doubt, but the nine was kind of close. You know, you were only yeah. seven ounces bigger than Green's fish from thirty years earlier. You know, and then a few hours later, you remove all doubt. Uh, you remove <laughs> absolutely every bit of doubt, which was phenomenal. Um, take us through the eleven. So you, you spot the eleven on the bed. Do you are are you are you're probably so good. At, 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 you probably have calibrated eyes, Preston Clark. When you're looking at that fish, did you have a feel for how much that fish weighed? I, 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 when I spotted her, as soon as I spotted her, I knew it was a big fish. I dropped down on my knees to where she couldn't see me, and I couldn't see her anymore. So I did. I mean, I looked at her. I, she was looking right at me. She looked like she was eight inches across the across the back. I mean, she was wide, wow. and I just I, I got down as quick because I didn't want to spook her and get her off the bed. I didn't want her to know I was there, and so I didn't really get a good look at her until I put my hand on her and uh, got her in the boat. And the whole time, the whole classic experience, at both classics, I was never nervous, ever. And I wasn't nervous when I was fighting the fish and I got her in the boat. But after I got her in the boat, you know, I've been catching big fish my whole life. But after I got that one in the boat, then it hit me that, hey, this is a, this is a pretty big deal I'm in right now. <laughs> I'm actually pretty good. <laughs> oh, I, I've man. seen you happy. I've seen you, you know, excited, but I've never seen you where I thought you were anxious or anything like that. You're a very cool, cool, collected guy. Um, in your tournament career, was that the most excited you've ever been, or the most uh, most you were feeling it that day? That one more time. I broke it. I'm sorry. Sort of... I was just saying you're you're just such a you're a very composed and professional guy. I, I've seen you smile, I've seen you happy, but I've never seen you where I thought you were nervous. Was that the closest you ever got to nervous in your in your tournament career? Yes, I had to sit down and drink some Gatorade and just relax for. <laughs> so saying, were you I think so, Well, that's 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 two bastard away over twenty. So let's see what have I got to do from here. <laughs> career exactly. You know, I knew I knew what what this meant, and I was uh, I was really. Uh, I wasn't thinking so much about myself as I was about, I can't wait till my, my wife and my dad see me, you know, up on stage with the fish. And that's what I, I was really, I was really excited about. Amazing. Amazing. And so the 1110 goes into the well and you're also not weighing that fish. Um, you're just, and then, and then, but let's talk about the other three. Um, I don't want to make too big a deal about the other three, but you've got over 20 pounds and two fish and you come to the scales at the end of the day with 29.1. So the other three fish you have are, are, are nothing particularly special. Uh, were you trying to save some of your better fish or did you think, uh, or, or were you still trying to, to knock it out of the park with every fish that day? We may have lost Preston. There he is. I'm back. Oh, uh, I don't know if you heard the question, Preston. Um, okay, what, what, what was it? Oh, I was asking, you know, you had those two massive fish. Right. At, at that point, they are the two biggest bass ever caught in the Bassmaster Classic. Um, and then, but your other three fish were not giants. They were, you know, they averaged about three pounds apiece. Were you, did you, did you deliberately ratchet back and said, I've got to save some fish in this area for the rest of this derby? Or were you still going out looking for giants? Now they, they were leaving the, the fish. There were way more fish in practice than there were uh, the first day of the tournament, and they were they were leaving. So I was catching what I could catch, and 
the next day I, I i i was just hoping that i could go out and catch a, a 10 or 12 pound bag that the next day because those those fish that style of fishing was about over with we had a, a terrible cold front come through on the final day that that just completely ruined the the style of fishing i was doing it ruined things for a lot of people i mean on day one you've got over 29 pounds on on day two uh everybody's catches dropped you wound up with yep. a limit that weighed just over 10 pounds you had a two-day total over 39 but you fell two spots to fourth place and at this point you're trailing luke clausen by a little over five pounds you're still well within striking range especially if you can duplicate anything like you did on day one uh but then day three was was your as you said your pattern kind of fell apart on you uh what you were the way you were catching fell apart on you take us through day three day three i decided to go uh to go down south to where everybody else was at and just start flipping i i had no idea that they were catching them in the pads i i didn't know how they were catching them but i knew what I thought I would do to, growing up in Florida, I would go flip mats because they'd be under for the for the heat. And I flipped and flipped and flipped and flipped and didn't have any bites. And then finally I had one on that got off and I was frustrated. And, uh, and the weather was terrible. It was nasty. And I started back in and I said, you know, I got maybe an hour or so to go. And I came back in through the locks in Toho. And I went into uh, a, a local canal and uh, it was deep maybe six seven eight foot deep and chatterbaits had just come out and i had I, had grabbed one my buddy brian thrift had given me some when when uh when he made them famous and uh they just come out and i had very little confidence in them but i tied one on and i started throwing down the middle of this canal and, and made four or five casts and i catch a five pounder I'm like, wow. And I make about three or four more casts. I have one about seven come up and come off right next to the boat. Oh. Five uh -huh. casts later, I have one about six come off next to the boat. And, I, and it was time to go. You know, <laughs> game game uh. over. So I weighed in one fish on that final day. Yeah, and as you say, it weighed, it weighed five pounds in an ounce. You had, for three days, you had 44 pounds, four ounces. You, you ended up in sixth place, uh, about 12 pounds behind the winner. But really, just one good fish out of third place, and if you'd have had a limit, especially with the kind of quality that you you had on, you'd have mm -hmm. easily won that tournament. Do, how much do you think about that? How close you came to winning that classic? Yeah, I think about both of them. That one and Pittsburgh. I, I, like I mentioned earlier, I should have won both of them. And you know, but the elite series is so competitive. Uh, those guys are so good from top to bottom of the field. That, yeah, there's a lot of tournaments that you go, you know, I should have won this tournament if I'd have had another 30 minutes. And they go, well, what place you come in? Well, I came in 38th. You know, <laughs> but it was that, and, and there was, in every tournament, there's stories like that. Somebody out there has uh, has found them the last few minutes of the day and, and just didn't have enough time to put them in the boat. I mean, if you if you landed the, the, the six and the seven, that's 13 pounds, and you only... Missed it by by twelve. I mean, yeah. You put those two fish in the boat, and you know, you're a it's class a different winner. Story. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Could have been. Could have been. For so many guys, so many guys will beat themselves up for a long time about when when a tournament kind of gets away from them, and some guys are are really good about you know maybe beating themselves up until they get to the next derby. 
where do you land in that spectrum? Do you do you put it behind you pretty quickly, or do you does it nag at you for a long time? I put it behind me about maybe a couple months, about two months later. <laughs> I, I, I put all the all the classics behind. When we went to Santee Cooper, I forgot all about the classics. <laughs> and that's and that's that's yeah. that, hey folks, a, for my story. money, that's that's. <laughs> That's another fabulous Preston Clark story about big fish because in that inaugural season of the Elite Series of 2006, uh, the Santee Cooper Showdown, uh, just a couple months later, uh, in March and early April of 2006, Preston goes out and, and he, he wins this four-day derby uh, and sets a five-bass limit record with 115 pounds, 15 ounces. Then yep. the record... Nobody had ever really approached that. I think you beat you beat Rojas's one eight. Rojas. So you yeah, you pounds. whooped him by by better than seven pounds there, and uh, and you had thirty almost forty pounds on day one, which at the time was the third best single day total. Now it ranks eighth, so it's still top ten. Um, where does that rank? You got so many great claims to fame, Preston, in a relatively short pro career. Where does Santee Cooper rank for you? That's that's the highlight of my career for Is that me. Right? Uh, that was such a was such a special week, and uh, and uh, you know my family was there to enjoy it with me, uh, and I had no idea. I had a terrible practice. I had no idea I was going to catch them that well, and it just it just happened. It just they were there, and I and I knew what to do, and it, it was just, I had I had fun for four days. I had a blast. Can you go a little bit deeper into into how you caught those fish and what put you on them? I was I was sight fishing for them, and I I had gone into an area um, the first day of practice, and there were like these little inland ponds or something. I don't know if they might have been rice fields back in the day or what, but there was this little uh, a little uh, uh, I don't know that you could go from one to the other by the little, little uh, paths or whatnot. And then uh, they'd open up, and they'd be maybe five, six, seven acres in each one of these ponds. There was maybe a dozen of them, and there's over in the Utah area, in the Utah Creek area. And I'd gone through them, and I'd seen some beds, some old beds and stuff, and uh, but they were, there weren't any fish on them. And then the last day of practice, uh, I stumbled up across a couple fish on a bed. And there were a couple five or six pounders. I said, "Well, there's one set of fish on beds. There's going to be more somewhere." I said, let me yeah. go back in there and look. And as I was going back in, I was going down this uh, little path, a uh, little ditch. And as, as I was going in, I, I looked in front of my boat, and I saw a couple swimming that were going in. And I, and I started really looking ahead of the boat, and I saw five or six more good ones that were swimming wow. in. And once I got in there, all the there, there was you know, 150, 200 beds, and every one of them had a, a two-pound buck on them. And the girls were starting to come in. I sat there at the entrance and just uh, just sat there and was still for yeah. And they just started coming in. There's seven and eight pounders coming in. I was like, oh my goodness! And uh, the next, uh, so I marked three of them. And the next morning, I went in my first cast. I caught one nine two. My second, oh. my second cast of the day, I caught one eight fifteen. And my oh, third goodness. cast of the day, I caught a six even. And so oh, my man. first three cast, I had, I had a bunch of fish. Peter T was in there with me, but he we decided that this is your side, this is my side, and we worked well together. And I'd known Pete my whole life, so uh, 
we did we worked well together and after after the second day when uh you know uh he realized that something special was happening he he abandoned ship he left and gave me the rest of the wow. area Awesome. Wow, that is that is a gentlemanly and professional thing to do. Kudos to, to Peter T. Uh, that that had to pain him though to leave fish like that. Yeah, he. Uh, uh, there were there were uh, he there was a lot of fish. There was a lot of fish around. You know that he could he could go the next one over and and, and probably do just as well. Well, well, there's a couple of guys from the upper end of the St. Johns River finding the same fish in practice. What was it maybe about? about each of your uh, upbringing and education in the sport on the upper St. John's that, that took you both to that spot. The, the, uh, growing up in Northern Florida is unique from, from growing up anywhere else being that our, our spawning season, we get, you know, we get six months out of the year to, to do this. Wow. They'll, they'll spawn that sometimes they start spawning in November, December, and they'll spawn always sometimes through June, you know, just depending on the weather. So you, it's a technique that we got good at, you know, yeah. and uh, we get to do it so often. Not, it's not like up north where they might get two moon phases and it's over, you know, mm -hmm. for, for small mouth or for large mouth. They, if they're not on the first moon phase, they're on the next one, and then there's no more spawning activity. Well, down here, that they don't all spawn at one time. They come in... <laughs> Uh, wave after wave after wave and and it's just a technique that we that we got to, to practice on and we're good at because we've done it so much so so do the big fish spawn before the smaller fish or is it just a mix of sizes spawning on all these moon phases usually the first wave is the biggest fish okay usually so the that's first in November, yeah. December time frame, possibly. Yeah, right? December, January. It depends on the weather. If it's been a cold winter, then they'll hold off until you know January, February. But if it's a warm winter, yeah, we can, we can start catching them in Okeechobee in November. Wow. Here in Central Florida, I've seen a lot of fish on the bed around Thanksgiving. Every year, I'll find a few. Um, Preston, is that your is that your favorite time to go after big fish uh, when you're sight fishing? Yeah, I don't sight fish as much as I used to anymore. Um, I just, I like to go fishing and uh, I've been very fortunate and been able to catch big fish at a bunch of different techniques. My biggest personal stringer uh, was was caught uh, with a crankbait. Is that right? Wow. How big was that? I had five and went 52. Jeez. Oh what, what crankbait? <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a Bomber 7A and Fire Tiger. And I caught wow. him. I caught him in uh, golly, in probably about ten minutes. They're just one after another. Holy wow! <laughs> was this on the St. John's? It was on the St. John's. Now the St. John's is so wow. different, it, and and folks maybe outside the state of Florida uh, will have a hard time appreciating this because everybody thinks of Florida as this one hodgepodge, and every body of water is a salad bowl. But that's not exactly true. There's a, a big change in the kind of vegetation you get if you're talking Okeechobee versus if you're talking the Kissimmee chain or the Harris chain or up where Preston lives on the upper St. John's River. And, and the guys in the St. John's, Preston, it seems to me, are a whole lot better at offshore fishing than the rest of us in the state. Is that a fair statement? Yes, it is. There's a, there's a lot of offshore stuff in, uh, uh, on the St. John's that a lot of shell bars, living shell, um, uh, a lot of shell bars, a lot of drop-offs, 
uh, but you also have a mix of, uh, of well, we used to have a mix of grass, eel grass and cattails, buggy whips, uh, tulies, things like that. But uh, all those are gone. All we have now is uh, is lily pads on the on the shoreline, uh, and that was that was caused by the hurricanes we had a couple of years ago. The water level got so high that the light and so so dark that the light just couldn't penetrate through the water and the uh, and all the grass died, all the vegetation died. It hasn't come back. Hmm. You look at the guys who have uh, been successful all around the country, and and unfortunately, very few have come from the state of Florida. The only guy who's ever won an Angler of the Year title uh, on the national level uh, is Scott Martin, who of course grew up on Okeechobee and the son of Roland Martin. But it's always it's always blown me away that that the guys in Florida have uh, struggled in a lot of other places but but Preston you you did well a lot of other places Bernie Schultz does really well in New York for example you won on Sandy Cooper uh, Bobby Lane Bobby Lane is one on Kentucky Lake Chris Lane maybe Chris Lane did the most outrageous thing he won on St. Clair which I still (laughs) I still can't believe but uh, what is it about Florida that so many pros find uh, limiting when they go outside the state um there's a, there's only, you know, there's there's no deep water fishing in Florida. Everything's shallow. Uh, so whenever you do get the opportunity to go and fish, uh, you know, Kentucky Lake or you go fish uh, uh, for smallmouth up north, it's a, you learn as you go. It's a learning experience as you go. You kind of you kind of wing it, or I did. I kind of winged it and, until I kind of figured it out. And once you once you figure it out, then you're all right. But the uh, the guys uh, in Florida, I think, have an advantage of being it's such a tough fishery in Florida. It's easier to catch fish when you leave Florida. Florida's the hardest place there to catch them, and I attribute that to we get more fishing pressure. We don't we're, we're not iced over six months out of the year. Uh, there's people down here fishing, you know, every single day of the year. They, they get pressure, so if you can catch them here, you can you can catch them somewhere else. Well, but the other thing is, is that, you know, Florida fish seem to be really temperamental with respect to weather change. You, you got a cold front, the water or the, the air temperature drops 10 degrees and those fish just shut down. Is Dang. there truth? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you take someone out of the, the upper tier states or, you know, North Carolina, Tennessee, and they go down there and they just don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, I'll give you guys a, I'll give you guys a weird stat. Um, there have been a couple dozen elite series tournaments in the state of Florida over the last 18 years since the elite started in 2006. Only two anglers in all those elite tournaments caught a 20 pound bag all four days of a tournament. Two guys, neither of them won by the way. Ish Monroe cracked 100 pounds one time at Okeechobee. He didn't have 20 pounds every day. It's just so hard to be consistent here. And, and I'm, I'm always blown away by that. Even a guy of the caliber of Preston Clark, uh, whacking him on day one at, uh, at the 2006 Classic, looking unstoppable, has a day where he's got five pounds. Uh, and that's, that's very humbling, isn't it, Preston? I mean, that's... They don't seem to replenish like they do in the northern lakes. In the northern lakes, you know, overnight, more fish will come in. And it seems like once you catch what you catch in Florida, you need to move on to another spot. 
they, they don't wow. keep they don't keep reloading like like uh, traditional other lakes do up, up up further north. Preston, I'd like to talk to you about your uh, philosophy of targeting big fish in competition because you have been wildly successful uh, with that, and especially at the highest level. When you're targeting a big fish in competition, do you specifically go after big fish, like during a sight fishing tournament, or do you kind of let the big fish come to you by cycling through a lot of numbers of fish? I usually uh, go after just a big fish, uh, not a number. So once I have a limit, um, I put on baits that big fish will eat, a bigger, a bigger worm. I like uh, 11 inch, uh, I throw an 11 inch bass assassin worm a lot. Um, as I know if something hits it, he's going to be something I can, you know, I can put him in a live well and, and call and, with. Yeah, I can call, call with him. But, uh, and I throw a jig a lot. I throw even really? in Florida. Yeah, I flip, I flip a jig a lot. Um, but I, I target, I, you don't have to have 50 bites, you just need the five right ones. So once what, I have your... five in the boat, then I target, a, I put on bigger baits and target bigger fish. All right, I'm going to see I don't have to take notes, Preston, because I'm going to go back and listen to this later. What's your go to Florida chick? Uh, keep in uh, mind that whatever you whatever you say on this show, I'm going to be putting it to use as quickly as possible. I, I use a Metlock uh, double weed guard. Double? Jig. That's, yeah, that's the that's the one to use. If you're that's the one that I've that I've always used. And uh, it's a good quality product with a good hook. And uh, I put the, the Wupaw crawl that we talked about earlier from Bass Sassen on the back of it. And that's what I that's what I flip with. Now, for folks who are not familiar with that, it does have a double weed guard. It, it's uh, usually comes in some of the heavier sizes. I would say the go-to size for most anglers is between three quarters and maybe an ounce and a quarter. And what is it about that particular jig, Preston, that makes it special? Uh, where the line tie is, you have a good hookup ratio. With the double weed guard, it it doesn't uh, uh, you don't get hung up near as much as you do with a single. Uh, the, the single weed guard, the weed guard is uh, is like this, and the hook, the hook, is underneath it. And the way it gets, the way you get in something is when the weed guard moves over, and the hook gets in it. Well, with a double weed guard, it's never gonna, it's never gonna go past one of the, one of the weed guards. So it, gotcha. it doesn't, doesn't get hung up hardly at all. I know, of course, Joe Medlock makes that jig down in in South Florida, and and uh, I know down in South Florida where they got a lot of sawgrass and stuff like that and hay what they'll call hay down there he he drags that jig a lot he'll even reel it slowly do you hop it do you do you drag it how do you mostly fish hop, it here in florida i hop mine i flip it in pads a lot and i hop it i won a uh, a bfl on it a few years back in the Kissimmee chain uh and it was all hopping hopping the uh you flip it in the pads and the pads a field of pads you have to really dissect them it's just not a bunch of pads it's actually individual plants with with maybe four or five stems coming out of each one and you try and make sure that your bait lands at the base of those stems where they all come together because that's where the fish is going to be what's your go-to jig weight for that I, technique most times three quarter and and are you are you flipping with braid or yeah what do you 65, like? 65 pound braid um been flipping with a new new rod, relative new rod uh, that I've really fell in love with the last year or so. It's made by uh, a local man down here called Reaper Rods. Reaper and, uh, Rods. Reaper Rods. Yeah, they're really really good rod. I'm, I've got four or five of them now, and I, 
They're not a sponsor of mine, but I like their I like their product. Uh, are Are you still working with a, a a lot of companies in the industry? It's a few, yeah. I still work with uh, with Stick Jacket. I still work with Bass Assassin. I still work with Powerpole. Um, you know, whenever they need me, I'm I'm there for them. They they certainly have uh, have helped me out tremendously. We'll put some links awesome. down below the video when when this story goes up, and we'll we'll hopefully send a few. Uh, send a few folks to the folks who are still working with you because, uh, <laughs> Hey man, you're, you're one of my favorite guys who's ever fished the trail and, and anybody who's working with Preston Clark is, is a friend of ours. Um, betting fish Preston, I wanna, even though, even though you catch them a lot of different ways and your best bag ever was on that bomber crankbait, uh, I'm fascinated with betting fish. And my question that I, I love to ask the guys who are really good at it is how do you know when to give up on a fish? You, you can tell by uh, after you've thrown four or five times and six times and you want to stand up, take a peek at them, you can tell if they, they leave the bed and they're, and it takes them a while to come back and when you throw up the next cast, they leave again and they're real skittish. That, that's a hard fish to catch. Um, uh, when, you, when you throw on a bed and they start turning on it right off the bat, it shouldn't take just a few casts and you can catch that one. Sometimes I won't spend more than maybe 20, 20, 25 minutes on a fish. If it's a good fish, if it's a little fish, I'm moving on because there's a big one somewhere around. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going ahead and, and leaving him alone. But if it's a good fish, one that I really need, I'll spend 25, 30 minutes on him. And there's a lot of different ways you can, you can do it. You can, uh, if you can't get them to, to bite and throw it in one direction, move angles, move your boat around and bring it across the bed at a different angle. And even though the bed may be, you know, as, as big as a, a truck, a hood of your truck, the spot you have to put it in might sometimes only be as big as a silver dollar that the, where they actually lay it's, that you want, and it might not be the center of the bed. It might be off to the left or the right, but once you get them to bite that one time, uh, when you can get them to bite that first time, then every cast needs to be in that same exact spot to uh, to get them to bite again. Uh, uh, fantastic advice. Uh, one of the best answers I've ever gotten in my career of, of covering the sport uh, actually came from Jason Christie. I asked him, I said, "When do you? how do you know when to quit on a, a fish? And, and he gave me an, uh, an answer that made me laugh but kind of made sense to me, although I don't think it was maybe as practical as the answer you just gave. Uh, so I said, when do you give up on a fish? And he said, when it gets personal. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Let me, let me ask like this. You, you have a fish that's skittish, uh, and, you know, you spend 10 minutes on it, and you leave. Will you come back to that fish to see if its attitude's changed? Ah. Yes. Ah. Okay. Yeah. You can, I, I'll come back to it. Uh, especially if it's if it's a, a multi-day tournament i'll come back to it the next day or if it's a single day tournament i might come back if i need it i might come mm -hmm. back two or three times during the day and when they when they're actually doing their spawn when the when the male and the female are rubbing and they're they're back and forth together with each other on the bed and they're they're bumping and he uh, she's laying and he's fertilizing you can't catch them yeah. i can't you just leave them alone, and but you can come back, you know, a few hours later when they're done, and they'll bite first, or second cast. But they're hard to catch. I just leave them alone, let them, 
let them do their business and, and go find me another fish. Uh-huh. All right, Preston, you got an 1110 in the classic. You've caught multiple fish over eight pounds in major tournaments. You got a bag that weighed 52 and change. What's your personal best individual largemouth? 15 and a half. Oh Jeez. my God. <laughs> 15 and a wow. half. 15 and a half. That's a nice oh, fish. oh you can't get, we can't let you go without telling us about that. Uh, caught that one off a of bed in, uh, in the Oklawaha River, which is just below Rodman Reservoir. Uh, I was, uh, it was it was not long after Santee Cooper. And my phone had been ringing off the hook. It had been going crazy. And I said, you know, I just need to get out a day. Because it is a fishing business. And I, I've been yeah. trying to work and trying to get everything that I could get out of, out of the records. And I said, I just need a day to go fishing. And I went to where there was no cell phone reception. And I just wanted to be by myself <laughs> for a little while. And I came across this fish. And I couldn't really see her because it was deep. She was deep. And the water's clear, but it was deep. And it was under, it real shady. And I started pitching up there to her, pitching up to her. And I knew it was a big fish. I just wasn't sure how big. And finally, I got the buck to hit. And I caught it. It was about a pound. And I threw back in there. And she it's hitting me again. I said, well, there's another buck on the bed. And finally, she picked it up. And I sat. And she was so big. And it was the worst fight of any big fish. Never pulled drag. Never did anything. Came up <laughs> to the top of the water, laid on her side. And I pulled her over to the boat. You know, that fish that big, I guess she was just exhausted. I'd just been pestering her or not, but I, I took a picture of her and I, I went and, uh, and, uh, showed her off to a buddy that I, that was fishing not far from me and we weighed her and, uh, I put her back in the water. That's awesome. Yeah, if any 15 wants to hit my bait, I don't care if she fights at all. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to catch her, put her on the skills. That, that's phenomenal, man. 15. Yeah, uh, that's a big fish. You know, you got to go through a hundred thousand lifetimes of serious bass fishing to get anything I've, approaching something I've like that. I've seen two in my lifetime that may have been the one. I've seen uh, two times. Once I was about 17 or 18 years old, I saw one that. Uh, that was so big you couldn't it was hard to estimate and then another time when i was on the elite series i was fishing with my father my father rode with me and we were just outside of uh, stockton and we had a week off and there was a little private reservoir not a pri well, private reservoir it was a state reservoir you had to pay twenty dollars to get on it but it was idle only no uh, stockton california yeah, just outside of Stockton. It was right off of I the Delta. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And there was this little reservoir, and it was maybe two miles long and a half a mile wide. It was idle zone only. And I went on there, and we, I saw one there. And I, my dad was with me, and I saw her, and I fished for her for three days. and couldn't get her to bite. She was on one rock. It was all <laughs> big around, and it was perfect. But there was yep. one rock I'd throw, pull my bait up there, and she'd leave and, and sit out for, you know, 20, 30 feet away and suspend. I pull my bait off and she'd come right back. And we did, we played that game for three days. Terry's from California. So about. he, he may have fished that, that body of water. Never fished it, but a buddy of mine got an 18 and three quarter out of that lake. We're not going to talk about it. Los, <laughs> Los Banos. Los, Los Banos. Creek. Yeah. yeah Los, yep. Los Banos Creek Reservoir. Yep. That's yep. where I was at. Yep. 
Yeah, there was you a know, bunch of fish over 17 caught out of there in that 2003 to 2008 time frame. And there probably is still today, but nobody talks about it. Yeah, there were, it was, uh, it was so big that it was hard to judge how big the fish was. Yeah. And I don't know how many sixes and sevens. That's where I learned to, to really fish a uh, small line. I, I never had any confidence in it. And, uh, I said, well, I'm out here where they do it. And, you know, I'm putting six pound test on and I caught five pounder after five pounder after, and then after that I had no problem. You know, I had confidence. <laughs> It was. A, I had a blast out there. Fished it for three days. It was wonderful. Yeah. Did Did your time on the elite? Did your time on the trail and, and in the elite series? Did it help you become a better angler, returning home to Florida? Yes, and I think some of my best fishing I've ever done in my life was after I quit uh, fishing on on the elite series. I had I had four or five years that it was just unbelievable. I just wasn't fishing any tournaments. I was just going fishing, and oh, I was I was killing. Them. But yes. It, it, I thought that I knew how to fish until I got on the elite series and, uh, and there were so many different techniques and new ways to fish. And so many people helped me. Um, you know, uh, Denny Brower helped me about flipping the jig and we talked in, in length about it. And Aaron Martins, uh, uh, I went and got in his boat one day and we spent two hours with him showing me how to rig a drop shot and how to work a shaky head. And we talked and then, and in return, they wanted to know about bed fishing. So we, yeah. you know, we, we sat and had some long discussions, and it was it was really great. Uh, all those guys were really helpful, and uh, and I was certainly willing to, to repay them. Yeah, you're so well-liked and respected uh, among your fellow pros. Um, those kind of bonds, I hope they last a lifetime. Uh, sad that we lost Aaron, of course, but uh, yeah. I still know so many people who, who very fondly remember your time on the trail. And uh, and man, you were you were very successful. But of course, you you left. It was shortly before the elite season gets cranked up. That you already had a daughter, but you had you and your wife had triplets. So now yeah. you've got this burgeoning family. Yeah, and that was that was always my dream, and I I, I, didn't, I don't want to uh, ruin it for everybody, but fishing just kind of happened for me. I, I was fishing; I've been fishing my whole life, fishing tournaments with my father, and and won a lot of stuff uh, throughout Florida. And it, when I finally, you know, my wife taught me to try to turn pro, it just kind of happened overnight, and you know, just one step to the next step to the next step, and all of a sudden there I was, and the next thing I'm in the classic, I'm catching big fish. And then what I'd always dreamed of was having my family, and uh, and I was gone all the time. And you know what I what I wanted was back home, so it was an easy decision to uh, say, okay, you know what I've done, I proved to myself that I can do it. Let's, I want to go back home. I want to be with my kids. Uh, a, a credit to you as Hats a human being, you. sir. Hats off to you, Preston Clark. That's fantastic. And and for the folks who don't know it, Preston's got a, a fabulous business here in Florida. I don't know exactly how to describe what you do, but you've got a, a success, very successful utilities contracting business, Preston, yep. where you, you work with Polk County and other uh, municipal uh, governments uh, uh, to help people better manage their water resources and so forth. Yep. Water conservation. That's what we're all talking about. You know, that's... Uh, it's uh, there's, there's more and more people coming to this area of Florida, and there's uh, only so much water to go around, so we have to conserve every every drop. 
Mm -hmm. uh, very true. And and I've gotten Preston before we started the program tonight to promise to call me so I can take him out to lunch sometime because he does occasionally get down <laughs> to Central Florida where I am. So, Preston, I'm going to hold you to that. Uh, I would love to do it. That would be my great pleasure, sir. Take you to lunch. Any, I, I hope we, I want to make it a regular thing. I don't want it to be a one-time thing. Oh, I, I want to do it a lot. Uh, and, and and Terry, I could I could talk to Preston all night long. I know you I could know. too. Did you have <laughs> Did you have any more questions? We eventually have to let the man go and and yeah and, and let the viewers uh, finally have a break here. But uh, any anything else you wanted to talk I about? Yeah, I think we covered it all. Um, you know, I. It's awesome to see it, you know, again, Preston, and, and talk to you and, and hear the story about your, your classic big fish, your 52-pound limit, and the 15. So, I mean, you've had a, a, a glorious career, and, uh, you know, keep on keeping on. Go get well, another big one. Much. It was a, you know, it seems like it was, it ha it was like it happened to somebody else. As I look back on it now, and I go, was that really me? It was, <laughs> it was you. It was really a neat, a neat deal. I hope that, I hope that everybody that that tournament fishes could could experience what I did those few years. It was awesome. Yep. I tell you, man. I think I speak for Terry on this too because we were both there watching a lot of it, and I got I had, I had the great privilege of of being there at a lot of those events where you showed out, and uh, not only was it you, but you did it with uh, a lot of style, a lot of grace, uh, a lot of modesty and humility, and uh, that, that's why. I hold you in such high regard. That's why all your peers hold you in such high regard. Couldn't happen to a better guy. I'm so happy that you had all those great accomplishments. I'm thrilled that you have such a great life now. Are any of your kids eaten up with fishing as, as you were as a young person? My two sons are uh, uh, are eat up with it probably worse than I than I was. Is that right? Day. Yeah, they, awesome. they have... Uh, now that they have uh, Google Earth, they can find all the ponds around town. <laughs> their favorite one is behind the sheriff's office in our, in our local town in Palaka. Which, uh, they, they go to quite regular. And I figured, oh, you uh, shouldn't have said that, Preston. Trouble, they're not going to get in trouble there. <laughs> we, we, may have, we may have to bleep that out. Otherwise, they're going to have company. <laughs> they, 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 they bring their buddies back. Then. They've learned that lesson, too. You know, with, uh, telling, telling their buddies where their secret spots are. Yeah. yeah, that's always a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> they they eat up. Well, they they fished on the high school team uh, with Placa, along with uh, Cliff Prince's uh, son and his partner, and um, we see uh, we see Hillary Martin, Scott's daughter, just about every tournament. And uh, there's some great fishermen, the Stalvey uh, Stalvey boys and Jacob Deal. Uh, there we see we get to see them, and they're. Uh, they're all great fishermen, and we have we have a good time. We're getting ready to leave uh, Thursday. If all their homework's done, we're going to Okeechobee for the next tournament. Nice. All right, man. Well, hopefully, uh, I'm I'm heading to uh, as we're recording this, folks. Redcrest is about to start. I'm heading up to Redcrest, but I'll get back in a week, Preston, and hopefully, you can holler at me, and I'll, I'll take you to lunch wherever you want to go, brother. I'm looking Fantastic. forward to it. Yep. And we're except. Next time I'm in uh, Jacksonville visiting my in-laws, I'll look you up. Please do, Terry. I'd, I'd love to see you. Yep. All right, folks. That's Preston Clark, uh, the one and only. I can't think of anybody who spent such a, a brief time on the trail, just a few years, but who made such a, an amazing impact on it, especially with regard to big bass, especially with regard to the Bassmaster Classic. Set some records, especially with big fish in the Classic that I think will outlast me. 
Uh, I think it'll certainly outlast what, what Ricky Green did in 1976. So, Terry, let's slam the door on this episode of the Big Bass Podcast. Let's but before we go, please remember to subscribe, like, share, give us a comment or a review. It's a small ask, but it's a very big help to us. And please don't forget to check out our website, thebigbasspodcast.com. You'll find our Big Bass Podcast calculator and our listings of record bass, plus supplementary material material on the episodes. It's a work in progress, but if you like the show, we think you'll love the website. If you want to reach us, you can get us at uh, our email addresses, Ken at TheBigBassPodcast.com, Terry at TheBigBassPodcast.com, Nathan at TheBigBassPodcast.com. My name is Ken Duke, and on behalf of my partners, Terry Batiste and Nathan Benson, I want to thank our very special guest, Preston Clark, and thank you for joining us. Next week, we'll have a new show about a different big bass and a story that you will not and cannot find anywhere else. And remember, size matters. <laughs> <laughs>